non-binary friends, to everyone on the spectrum, and in between, welcome to the 50th episode of The Shutter Show. I'm Ken Stacknick, and with me, as always, is my co-host, David Marlowe. David, how are you doing today? Ah, oh, just it feels so surreal, Ken. 50 episodes. 50 like, episodes. 50 episodes. Man, this, like... I, I know a, a couple of friends like who start their own podcasts and they're not bad podcasts. They're really, really solid. But I think half the challenge is really just sticking with that, that schedule and just trying to get episodes out consistently. And, and damn it, if we didn't fucking pull that shit off. Well, consistently is a strong term. Semi-consistently. Se- semi, semi-consistently. We were at least able to, especially in the beginning, like the first 25, able to rock like one a week. Like, I think that's, that's pretty, that. To be fair, though, it was the pandemic, and it's yeah, not like we, we had, had nothing all, else like to we, do. <laughs> we didn't have a whole lot else to do. So, but even even now that we have more to do, I think the fact that we've kept it up pretty well, uh, I think, says says a lot about our work potential. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm very happy. So, yeah, everyone, please uh, give us money. That would be great. Thank you so much. Love you all. Um, but yeah, Ken, how about yourself? How, how are you feeling with 50 episodes? Well, I'm very, I'm very happy. I'm excited that in two more episodes, we are going to have one for every day of the year or every week of the year. So for people who will be just joining the show, they'll have a nice uh, long uh, uh, back catalog to reference, which is the, the big thing that I'm excited about with, with our new viewers uh, our listeners, I should say, is that they are going to, if you really like the show, you're going to be able to immediately jump in and binge a bunch of it. If that's what you want to do, which is one of the things that, I mean, that is, that's just one of the things that I like to do. Uh, when I find a new podcast that I like, I tend to uh, play it a bunch. And now that we will have the ability to offer that to people, I'm I'm excited to to be able to sh- share this with uh, sh- share more movies, and uh, hopefully they'll share us with their friends as well. Yeah, I'm I'm yeah. I'm super stoked, and and it, because this is episode fifty, and because I am moving literally this coming Sunday uh, cross country. Like, I think, Ken, you and I have pretty much decided, like, this is the the, the cut point for season two. Season so three. Oh, are we on season three? Yes, we are. Goddamn. Oh, yeah. Great. Then we're the, yeah, this is the sort of the end point for season three. And then we can pick up season four in a couple of weeks once, because you're going to your sister's wedding. You're going to be coming back here to the to the mainland to uh, to attend a loved one's wedding. And I'm going to be moving to a new state near, uh, closer to familiar loved ones. And yeah, so we just need a yeah, little and time I'm, to yeah. get shit together. And you know, we've got a lot of, there, there's so many possibilities right now for films that we want to discuss. There's one I know, for example, I'm desperate to do a, a double feature of the found footage insane asylum flicks, uh, Grave Encounters and Gonjium Haunted Asylum, its Korean counterpart. Um, and I know, Ken, like you've got a whole bunch of films that you're really wanting to to discuss coming up. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, like Psycho Gorman is one I definitely want to talk about. The Invitation, uh, both of the Morrissey films. Was it Flesh for Frankenstein and Blood for Dracula? Uh, there's both the there's the, both the Nosferatu's are up there. Also, the sequel to the Herzog Nosferatu, which I didn't know existed, and I guess I need to see because it's got Klaus Kinski in it, and I love me some crazy ass Klaus Kinski. There is, was it uh, Blood on Satan's Claw, Witchfinder General? There's like a whole bunch of good stuff currently on Shutter that uh, we will see if it's around. 
uh, you know, what's around when we come back for season three. But for this episode, we are going to be talking about one hell of a film, pun intended. We're talking about Hellraiser, the 1987 film from uh, Clive Barker. And uh, we sh- uh, I-, I will say this right now. Uh, David is going to be taking a little bit more of a steering wheel with this particular episode because David loves himself some Hellraiser. I believe he's seen all the Hellraisers. I know he enjoys these movies. And so I guess my first question for you, David, is who hurt you? <laughs> Here's the thing. Enjoy is, is, um, is stretching it a bit with the sequels. I think. Okay. Because, because here's the thing. I think more accurately, I am a, a massive Clive Barker fan. Um, as someone who has not only gotten to meet Clive Barker and actually like talk to him a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but also, God, what was it? I think it was at the Music Box Massacre. Uh, one of the films that they were showing was one uh, based off of his, uh, one of his short stories. He didn't direct it, but he certainly produced and wrote the 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 screenplay adaptation for it, which was uh, Midnight Meat Train with uh, Bradley Cooper. Mm-hmm. And that that film is fascinating for one thing. I actually really, really enjoy it. I think it, it, it it's a bit slow in certain places, but I, I it feels very Clive Barker. Is it the one with Vinnie Jones in it? Yes, it is. From Snatch? Yeah. Yep, yeah. And, and Survive we're... Style 5, the better film. Mm-hmm, yep. But the, yeah, no, where Vinnie Jones plays the uh, the killer, uh, that one is fantastic. Yeah, I, I, that was playing in the at the Music Box Massacre one October, and he was there to kind of help promote the film and take questions about it. Um, I got to ask him a couple of questions, but he also he autographed my copy of A Hellbound Heart, which is the novella that Hellraiser is adapted from, and he actually wrote A Hellbound Heart to eventually be adapted into a screenplay. Um, like he, he built this story. And I think that was it. like, you could get through it. I think the audible, for example, is like three hours long. Um, but I've read this book like multiple times and it really, like he ended up autographing a copy for me and that copy got stolen while I was going off to go grab something. And so I was visibly upset about it. I was so, so depressed about it because it was the one thing I was really hoping I could get from that night was an autographed copy of the Hellbound Heart from Clive Barker. (laughs) And so to cheer me up, Scott, um, my friend Scott, who you've met, he was at the wedding, uh, super long hair. Um, I can't remember if he sat at your table. I think he did. Um, He was there with uh, Kurt. That sounds like somebody I met at your wedding. Yeah, yeah. Super sweet, super sweet fella. Um, he went out and he got another copy and he brought it to Clive Barker. And Clive Barker's response is like, wait, wait, they stole it? So they didn't, they didn't pay money for it. And he's just like, no, no. He's like, oh, fuck that. And he does a full original doodle in the cover wow. of the book. So I have, and, and Clive Barker, like, he's just like, this, this dude, he's done, he is one of the most artistically talented individuals. He's a in famous doodler? Industry. Well, no, like, like, he's just like, like, his, his parents were paint, like, like he, he grew up in, God, where was it that he grew up? Um, oh, gosh, where the fuck was it? England, right? No, 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 no. Yeah, he grew up in England. He, he was born in Liverpool, and he studied in Liverpool. 
And one of his parents was an actual, was, was a painter. And the other one had a little bit more of an obscure job that didn't have anything to do with the arts, which I imagine was how the bills got paid. Um, but his paintings, and I even put up an example of one in our stories for this, like one of my favorite ones that it is my lifelong goal to eventually own a Clive Barker original painting that I can hang on my fucking wall and just look at that literally every single day and be happy. Um, even though his paintings are some of the most gruesome macabre paintings that you will ever see, but damn it, if he just isn't just unbelievably talented, both as a painter, as a writer, as a filmmaker, um, he, uh, as a playwright, the dude was, he was also in, he started his own theater company called his own theater troupe called the dog, uh, the dog company and had approximately like seven self-written plays that he put up which is also where uh where doug bradley came from doug bradley mm -hmm. was a member of uh the dog company and was in one of his more popular one of his more popular plays where he plays the devil so it just kind of it was just a match made in heaven and so yeah so i on this book i have just this original clive barker doodle and now it's tattooed on my back because i told myself if i ever lost that copy I would be the saddest person in the world. And so just to prevent that sadness from happening, you know what, let's just put it permanently on my back. There we go. Yeah. But yeah, Ken, so now Ken, you're not nearly as familiar with this, with, with this franchise in general. And I've seen most of them. I don't think I've seen all of them. Um, I think I skipped one or two because one of them was literally um, a grab. Like they made it in two weeks on a budget of like 130,000 just to keep the rights. And it is hands down, like in the process of doing this, they insulted the shit out of Doug Bradley by offering him $5,000 to come back as, as Pinhead. To which is I'm like, I'm sorry, is, is that a serious offer? You know, it's fine. I'm not I, like, I'm only just the main guy that's on every single fucking poster. And you're gonna just the action figure, yeah. You're gonna you're gonna offer me five thousand dollars, sir. Kindly go fuck yourself. Um, so that one I refuse to see because that just seemed like a slap in the face to everyone. But yeah, so Ken, what? Yeah, what is your experience with with this franchise? I have seen the first two Hellraisers, and that is my uh, experience with the Hellraiser franchise. I am familiar with them from pop culture. I know more or less what there is to know about the Cenobites and kind of how they operate and how their puzzle box works. And I would say that I very much um, appreciate Hellraiser, but for me, uh, well, all right. So I would say a majority of horror films fall into one of two general tones. And the first of that is like the spooky, fun, haunted house. And the other one, is a goddamn nightmare. And very rarely do the, like a lot of movies try to be a nightmare and just come off as silly. This movie is truly nightmarish and is unfun to experience for the same reason that a nightmare <laughs> is not as fun. Like, like, the, like this movie, this too, like say something like uh, Night of the Demons. Night of the Demons is a full-on like haunted house that you go, you know, at the Queen Mary 
or the state fair and like everybody's really into it and they're really giving it their all and like money was spent and like it's a solid fun experience and then there's haunt those haunted houses where you have to like sign a waiver where they're like going to abuse you and like push you kind of your your breaking point and i've seen little videos is, of, of those haunted houses too those are yeah and this is much more akin to that like this is not this is this movie's not fun to watch unless like you're really into the effects you're you know if you're really into the prosthetics you're really into the makeup work i can see you being able to shut off your brain to everything else that's going on here but like it, like just simple stuff like everybody in this movie is basically miserable or or just like not fun to be around like frank is just all rapey and evil and then like the wife is cheating on her husband and like he's just trying his best and you just feel bad for him and the daughter is stuck yeah. in the middle poor, poor and- andrew robinson yeah and like every and like everything is like and not everything is not just dirty but like dirty with like worms and roaches everything is gross like it's icky it's not pleasant to like i will say this like you are right when you were saying clive barker is like an artist and i can see he comes from a family of painters and i can see that he comes from an image making background because the imagery in the hellraiser movie and to a certain extent at least in hellraiser 2 like the imagery is very like it's very appealing even when it's absolutely grotesque you find yourself being like jesus i've just never seen that before and the design of each of the cenobites is very interesting and even though they very easily could be very samey you could just be like "Uh uh-huh yeah and another guy he's got hooks over here all right and this guy oh this guy's got hooks over there but each one of them has their own truly specific carnal nightmare thing they've like and it's not even like they've all got shtick like but they've all got like they're all characters which is mm-hmm. very impressive because a lot of times you tend to get like your big bad guy and then you get a lot of like like guys around them and that's kind of the you know it's the guy in charge who talks kind of normal but usually in a deep voice and then guy and that's kind yeah. of it. And then, like we're like yeah, that, yeah, that's, that's got- kind of what you get with the sequels, and and I'll we'll definitely talk about the sequels a little bit. Like yeah, uh, yeah, the so yeah, the the doctor de- demon thing at the end of two is a real like I'm sure that looked great in your head, man, but like this execution of that is silly. Where like in the first Hellraiser, I can completely tell that he like he either wrote it being like this is going to be a movie or wrote it and was like oh this is a movie because like it's so contained it it has it has like a lot of special effects in it but there are a lot of the same kind of effects so when you get the right people they're able to knock each one of them out of the park and there's not so many of them that they start lacking where like in two they just had too many special effect shots and you can see where there are certain places where, you know, hey, man, we have 80 shots, but we only have the budget for 60. So that means every single, you know, shot takes like a 5% cut to it. 
because you have to make that up somewhere because time, time, you know, time is finite. And where, where Clive Parker, man, like there's, there's a couple of shots that look like 1987, like the lightning coming off of the box. Yeah, is, is there, there is rough. always that 1980s lightning that has a yeah. very specific look to it. Well, it's, it's just, it's hand animated and rotoscoped in. Like it's, it's actually very, like it's, it, it's a very painstaking process to do. But all of the other effects, I think, look great. And I was very surprised when I was looking back at some of the earlier, some of the reviews from when it came out. And some of the people were kind of like, ah, no, this is just, you know, this isn't great stuff. And I don't, and at least to my eyes, especially my modern eyes, like, man, the prosthetic work in this is really solid. I, I mean, I, I would say, you know, some of the flesh effects don't entirely work because, you know, it's you're ripping chunks of flesh off of a person. But, you know, they have to actually have their skin underneath so things get built up a little much. And there's no way to take those things down without CGI. But, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, this, why I would say I have a complicated relationship with this movie in my personal enjoyment of it because this is just not, this is like much like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, this is not the kind of movie I tend to put on. Um, this is the kind of movie that I would be very careful who you shared this with because this is just not going to be a lot of people's kind of movie. Yeah. Just it's, it's a very know your audience kind of thing. Well, it's just, it's going to be way too rough for some audiences. And some of the imagery is just going to wreck certain people. You know, it's just like some people cannot handle spicy food. And this, this is, this is intensely spicy. This is, you know, this is, this is if nothing else, an acquired taste. Uh, at least, at, at least for me, if you, if you're there, you know, if your idea of a horror movie is mostly jump scares, then this movie's playing on a whole different level. God, oh, and I'm looking at this too. It looks like there's an 11th film coming out in production. Oh yeah, with the Lady um, Pinhead. Yeah, yeah, Lady Pinhead, which originally um, Clive Barker intended for Pinhead to be a woman, but there was already oh gosh, what's her name? Um, she has the, the hole in her throat. She's got that rod going through her mouth. Um, because I know there's Butterball and there's Chatter. Uh, are the other two are the other Cenobites? But I'm trying to remember what the, the the woman's name is. Um, but yeah, it, it's and there's there's an insane, an insanely large amount of different Cenobites throughout all the the whole franchise. Some of them. According to this, she's called female Cenobite. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Yep. God damn it! Oh, for fuck's sake. Um, but no, this is. I find I don't know. I, I find this fascinating because yeah, kind of what you're saying. Like it, you got to know your audience when you're suggesting this film to people. Um, yeah, this movie will ruin someone's evening if they're not expecting it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, don't surprise a... them with with the plot for this just let yeah, them know what they're just, let them know what they're in for yeah don't sit down with a big plate of like spaghetti you know and then watch this movie because like you're just gonna be unappetized a after a certain point yeah because yeah this movie is wet like yeah. In, what, in, what, yeah what i find to be the most impressive thing is this is clive barker's first ever film that he directed like yeah. he, he he went into this literally knowing absolutely nothing about filmmaking in the slightest and he even recalled like in an interview he talks about how he's like well i should at least do some research into some of the techniques 
He's like, so I was like, I went to the library and I tried finding some books on filmmaking. And the only two books that that library had were sold out. So I'm like, great, I'm about to start this like, this million dollar project. And I don't even have two fucking books. And he's just like, but luckily the dude had an unbelievably competent crew of professionals. And this, the, this is one of those rare occasions where the studio is actually excited about a film like this. Um, because yeah, sure, like horror sells really well and m- plenty of studios will get behind horror films but it, it tends to go into a weird area when that violence is sexual. And so it's very, I find it very surprising that the studio was, behind, which I'm trying to remember which studio. David, I can tell you, one. I can tell you exactly what they were thinking. I think they were thinking we've got the next Stephen King on our hands. And let's be clear. One of the Stephen King novels has like a sewer orgy in it halfway through with a bunch of underage kids. So I have a feeling uh, the, the studio was like, eh, some sexual stuff, it's okay. I mean, it was also the 80s and everyone yeah. was on cocaine. It, it, also, it also helps that Stephen King gave Clive Barker literally the greatest quote that he'll ever have and he can market himself for the rest of his life on this quote is Stephen King saying, I have seen the future of horror and his name is Clive Barker. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then that's why I think the studio in particular was also very likely to be like, like, okay, this is new and scary. Like, cause the, I, if you're an executive and you're green lighting this film, you're like, yikesy daisies. Like, Ooh, what did we do? Uh, th- this is very intense. But if what you're doing is topping uh, Stephen King, then I-, I could see them being very comfortable with it being, you know, really pushing the limits of things because they're trying to, you're trying to beat Stephen King. And the only way that like, especially if you have people who are looking at this is like, how do you beat Stephen King? And the answer is obviously you write better stories. Mm -hmm. To a lot of people who don't understand how stories work, what they then greenlight is just like more of a movie. And I can see somebody looking at Clive Barker and being like, oh yeah, that's Stephen King, but like extra Stephen King. That's like Stephen King on crack instead of cocaine. Yeah. And this was, um, and once again, like this is a project that he, like the Hellbound Heart was started as novella, but he was writing this novella and knowing eventually that he wanted to adapt the screen. So he wrote it within that three act parameter. And, but also at the same time, I think the reason why he ended up directing Hellraiser um, back in 1986 was in order to protect himself from just truly appalling adaptations of, oh, and, yeah. Because by, by that point, like, they'd made a couple of adaptations to some of his short stories, and they, like, they never conferred to him. They never went to ask, hey, what would you do in this particular area? Like, how, like what were you seeing when you were making this? So, like, his short stories, like Rawhead Rex, um, uh, including, like, the, the tales of, like, the Books of Blood, which was some of the first short uh, lists, like, books of short stories that he did. Um like he quotes them as being reduced to mockery, uh, reduced to mockery of a picture um, all the way back in 1985. So then he decided to direct pictures to protect himself from bullshit like that. Um, and so like, it's the entire reason why he, he jumped into film to begin with. And then after his experience with the studio 
and it's kind of a tale as old as time, then going in and making certain changes without asking him, um, them cutting certain things out that he didn't want to have cut out, them cutting his budget, but then also just the way that they carried on the franchise after that. Like it, it's definitely a, like him and Max Brooks, for example, could have a lot to talk about. Um, and you know who Max Brooks is, right? I've actually seen Max Brooks speak live. Oh, no. Oh, awesome. Okay. Then you know exactly who he is. So like Max Brooks, for example, is, is not a fan of the World War Z adaptation to film with, with Brad Pitt. <laughs> I see, like, yeah, like, I think, like, World War Z has a lot of good stuff in it. The problem is with it is that it's not World War Z. Yeah, they could, have, they could have called it anything else and it would have been fine. But I think yeah. the name is, they just used the name to get people to get butts and seats. And unfortunately, like, those I'll, butts I'll fix, were not happy. I'll fix World War Z right now. HBO, if you're listening, just greenlight a 10 episode series called World War Z. Each director, of each episode is different. They have to share a couple of actors who are weaved in between. If it's your main episode, you get to do the casting. And then everybody gets like a million and a half dollars. And then everybody gets to do whatever they want in whatever style they want. They just have to tell that story from that chapter in the book. And each one is its own story with its own director. And that is World War Z. That is what you bought. So that is what you should make. It is just wild to me that they were like, let's take this really interesting anthology series and then like turn it into what if Brad Pitt fought zombies? And like, I like Brad Pitt fighting zombies, but just don't, but it's not World War Z. That's not why you sit down for World War Z. That's like going into a McDonald's and then ordering sushi. Like, that's just not what they do there, man. And I don't know why you're then disappointed when it's not, don't don't do that it's just yeah um you, you are right they would have a lot to talk about um i would say that if i'm clive barker the number one thing that i'm worried about is just getting the tone right because his stuff is just so not what was happening in the mid to late 80s when when like he's like in the early like any of the 80s really you know most of that stuff is your nightmare on elm streets your friday the 13th's you know, your, your night of the demons, you know, your societies, everything's kind of fun. Everything's kind of cheeky. I mean, God, Nightmare on Elm Street, like just starts doing gags. I mean, Nightmare it's so on Elm Street, cheek. I mean, it had a children's cartoon show, which is wild for an art. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. They're, okay. Yeah. They're like, yeah, there's right. like Freddy. Yeah. There's like a Freddy Krueger cartoon. Yeah. It was wild. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just the, like the fact that the Beetlejuice got a cartoon too. Um, oh god, what's what? Uh, there's one more big one that it was an R rated movie. Was it Rambo? I think, yeah, Rambo got a cartoon, which is real. Like, you know, man, those movies are not for kids. Uh, yeah. I mean, oh. you know, I, oh, mean, I, I, actually, like, I, I remember the Rambo cartoon, like, I remember that yeah. one, and like, it always aired like alongside G.I. Joe in the morning. Um, yeah, that was a weird decision for a cartoon to make. I mean, they're following. Um, sorry, if you're hearing clacking, by the way, that's my dog walking around, and we decided to put a bell on her for some reason. So she's making. Oh, come here, come here. Sorry. Uh, up, up. There she is. Say hello to everybody. Okay. See, a reason to check in. Reason to watch us on YouTube. You occasionally get to see David's dog. 
Uh, you'll get to see Freddie Potatoes one of these days when, we, when we're when we're uh, when we're back together. But he's still with mom. So, yeah, look at her judging me right now. Um, but no, like, it, and it's it's fascinating because and I've I've seen a, a large portion of the sequels, and, and to give folks just an idea of like, there is a ridiculous number of sequels for this franchise. Too many sequels. Too many. Far too many fucking sequels. Yet, strangely enough, this is the one franchise that I could look at and be like, you know, if ever there were a franchise to get a reboot, this is the one to do it. I mean, they did. It was called The Mummy. That <laughs> Touche. But no, like, 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 I'm just, I'm literally going to list off the titles because some of these titles are lazy as fuck. Um, there's, so yeah, you have the, the original Hellraiser, you have Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, you have Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. You have Hellraiser Bloodline, Hellraiser Inferno, Hellraiser Hellseeker, Hellraiser, and this is the best title, Hellraiser Deader, as in D-E-A-D-E-R. It's dead, but just a little bit more dead. Um, and I think that was actually the one where they they had to do, they, they made one, they made it in like two weeks. They like, you have to pen a script, you have to cast, you have to, to cast everybody, and then you have to shoot it. All of this in a month. Yeah. You also you also have a budget of about one hundred and thirty to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Good fucking luck. You have a budget of one hundred and fifty dollars. Like here, do this task we've set forward for you. Also, we're going to cripple you at the starting gate. Uh, um, also, David, then, do not do, do not forget um, Hellraiser uh, Hellraiser starring Paul Reiser for Mad About You. <laughs> fucking love it but yeah and then after debtor there's hellraiser hell world and that one takes place what was this film this was like 2005 so you know matrixy shit with computers mm, and stuff good and that one has henry cavill i shit you folks not henry cavill is one of the lead characters in that there's another one that has adam scott in it as well some of the people good i've seen him. pop i know good for him and then after Hellworld, there was Hellraiser Revelations. And then the most recent one that they, they did was Hellraiser Judgment. And the past two films did not have Doug Bradley. And that's because they pretty much told Doug Bradley to go fuck himself by saying, we'll pay you $5,000 to play Pinhead again, which is like pennies on the dollar of what he makes per film. I just, I cannot begin to imagine how insulting that must have been. Well, question, like, what has he done other than be Pinhead? You know, that's a good idea. Well, because he started off in um, the dog company, the, the the theater troupe that, so he does a lot of theater. I think he, he does more theater than he does films. And I think that the Hellraiser films just kind of keep the lights on and allows him to, to do the things that he wants to do. So Doug Bradley, which by the way, I will say Clive Barker, Hates the name Pinhead. Fucking hates it. Pinhead was never his name in the book. He was always the priest or or the high hell priest. Like, I, I don't know. Like his like Pinhead as a character and just the Cenobites in general are fascinating because they're not supposed to be monsters. They are, and even Doug Bradley, he's like when talking to Clive Barker, like he's always like the hell priest, he's an impartial judge. So he was created from like a World War I veteran, a veteran named Elliot Richard Spencer, 
who struggled from PTSD and guilt from the loss of a friend. And that eventually led him to seek comfort through higher pleasures, you know, AKA the box. And so the term, like the term Cenobite, it's actually Latin for common life, which is like used to describe like a monotastic lifestyle or a monastic lifestyle. So it's like the sequels completely miss the point of what Clive Barker is trying to do. And it's the idea of like creating this plot of like this say, like a whole plot of sadomasochistic tendencies. And it's like, like what happens when somebody has experienced all the pleasures of life, both disgusting and beautiful. And what happens when that person now loses purpose, they look for pleasure in the most insane places and like the like the, the opening in the book uh hellbound heart like frank has a full-on conversation with the cenobites uh especially with uh the priest who's, who's pinhead uh and the only reason he's called pinhead was because that was just a sh- an easy way for the crew to to know who the other person was talking about so yeah. the crew actually named the monster pinhead um and clive barker fucking hates it he's still to this day fucking hates pinhead to the point where he made a whole comic book series and in that comic book series pinhead like kills anybody who refers to him as pinhead like he will make their life a living fucking hell if you even reflect he might not have beef with you you might not have been the one that summoned him so he'll leave you alone but for God's sake, you're like, oh, hey, there's Pinhead. He's like, oh, 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 oh you're going to die terribly. So he's not a, he's not an impartial judge. He's very partial. Yeah, he's partial if you call him by the name he doesn't want to be called. Yeah, which is pretty much like, uh, you know, I'll, yeah. don't worry. I'll be impartial the whole time unless you say this one word and then I'm going to murder you. Exactly. But like Doug Bradley always like he like in terms of like how he played him, like it was very like he's like, yeah, no, like because it, it took a lot of time before he finally for for a better term pinned down just how subtle his character had to be and when you look at his performance there is not an ounce of emotion on him but it's so well done um it's completely on purpose and this is a dude who comes from the theater so yeah like your first instinct is to go big um but let's see like other work that he's done i love that he's known for is literally just hellraiser films so let me, yeah, let me, let me dive a little deeper into this one. He's had 70 actor credits though. So like, you know, he's, he's done plenty. Oh, he's in the lore. He's in the, the, the TV series on Hulu lore, um, which is based off an old podcast that I listen to a lot. Um, Dead by Daylight. Oh, well, no, that's a video game. And he plays a Cenobite. Okay. never mind. Um, he was in Star Wars, The Old Republic, uh, Shadow of Revan. Yeah, he, he's wrong, yeah, I, wrong turn five bloodlines. Yikes. Uh, like, yeah, no, I mean, I get how the, all right, um, n- no shade to this man and he deserves more money, but I can also understand why from a producing standpoint, they looked at his career and were, were willing to roll the dice on. So who needs who more? We don't technically need you to make a Hellraiser movie, but we think you need us for that Hellraiser money. So let's roll them dice and see yeah. how it goes. I well, do not agree with this. Like he, he's he's old I, as I, I he's old as fuck now, so he doesn't like he's got plenty of money and plenty of residuals at this point. Yeah, I mean, um, hopefully he saved his money, but yeah, you still got to keep those coffers going. Oh yeah. Oh no, one hundred percent. 
But like, but like, it, I, I think there's a lot that was gained from this. Like, for example, like you know me, Ken. Like, I'm a huge fan of Silent Hill, and honestly, all the monsters, the their designs were like a lot of influence was drawn from Hellraiser and the Cenobites and that whole world. Like that, that's where a lot of the Silent Hill monster creation comes from. Um, you know, like Barker always considered his stories to be based off of Greek myths. And so his main characters were often playing the part of the explorer, you know, like, like, like Odysseus in the Odyssey. Um, you know, and, and I think having listened to him in person talk and seen interviews with him talk about Hellraiser, he's definitely burnt out on it. He's, um, which is why, like, I don't take the sequels that seriously because they're, they're like, I might take three seriously because three was also partially written by Clive Barker and um, as well as God, who else? It was his co-writer. Um, oh, I'm trying to remember what his name is. Oh, anyway, but yeah, no, like he, he at least um, wrote the first three and had like a, a direct hands-on um work ethic with the first three films so you see a bit more of what he's going for there but then after that you know the rights get sold to like several different studios uh i know like i think they're currently in the hands of dimension studios still um and i i don't i know they're intending to make an 11th film before they eventually turn it into a series um like right now for example on hulu and i only just found this out that they already did another adaptation of the books of blood i didn't know that came out yet I knew that they wow. were working on it, but I had no idea. Because yeah, no, like that's that's novel. I've like I've read a lot of his works, especially a lot of his short stories. And and damn it, if his his like the way his language is very like when he's when you read like what he's talking about and the environment around you, you see it. Like you straight up, you see what he's talking about and it's very much his own style. It's very much his own way of expressing both himself as an openly gay man, but also like this was um, like, this was a gentleman who grew up in London. Um, oh God, like I'm trying, like, yes, he grew, he grew up I'm trying to see if I can find the name because there was a club that he used to frequent regularly. Um but yeah, like like he, I mean, he was big into the S and S and M community. Like he he was. Yeah, I can see that. Oh oh no! Like this is all drawn from his his sexual experiences, and the experience the sexual experiences of people that uh, he was friends with. And I will say, like England had a very crazy underground S and M, like BDSM subculture that was kind of hidden from public view. Uh, it's, it's, he really likes going on the theme of like sadomasochism and it's the idea of like, like, for example, like just the overall plot of the first film is it's about a woman who had literally gotten fucked so goddamn well that she would literally murder people for this person <laughs> so that he could gain his, his, his skin back after he got like banished to this weird dimension of hell. I mean, not just um, any, not just anyone like fuck like the 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 brother of her husband 
Yes. The brother of her husband who pretty much, and in the book, like it's described as a rape, but it's one of those cases, one of those rare cases where because Julia is a sadomasochist, she's kind of into it. And like there, there is. Yeah. um, The sex scene in here is that kind of real problematic. Is it rape? Rape. But yeah, not but, right but like in that world, also like in the SM world, there's something called consensual non consent, and it's just for people who kind of have that fantasy of being taken by force. And it very it's in this void of like of masochism, sadomasochist, um, type of kink and energy. And it's and and it, it's a he really he dives into a lot of areas that you wouldn't see a lot of mainstream uh, mainstream cinema diving into. Um, like, for example, like the, the film is called Hellraiser, but his novella is called A Hellbound Heart um, because in and of itself, it is, it is a, a romance story, but it's, it's, it's all about toxic love. And it has nothing to do, because Frank has no love for Julia in this film. Frank no. is just using Julia for, to get his kicks off. Whereas Julia, like something awakened in her when she had her, her fling with Frank a week before her wedding, which by the way, like Clive Barker makes a point that like Frank takes her in her wedding dress, like wearing her wedding veil. And there is a definite, like there is, there's definite symbolism there and what's happening. Like they eventually wanted to call it uh, the, the film. They decided eventually to call it Hellraiser because they were throwing a whole bunch of different names at the board. Like Clive Barker suggested the title be say, like Sadomasochist from Beyond the Grave. Um, that title was also discarded by the producers. So Barker drew suggestions from anyone on set. Call it Pinhead. Well, like not even that for like Pinhead, but just like, like, like what should we call this fucking movie? Because the studio doesn't want to call it the same name that they're basing it off of, like off of my book that they're basing this off of. So like, what do we call it? Which prompted a 60 year old female assistant to offer a wildly obscene alternative, which was Hellraiser. And, and, and it just stuck. Um, yeah. Like there were a lot of things that just sort of didn't end up being like, for example, Barker originally pegged like the English, experimental rock group coil to uh, to score hellraiser and you can actually find there is um the studio claimed their music was the only kind that could actually like make his bowels churn um (laughs) but in a cost cut in a cost cutting measure the studio nixed the coil score in favor of a cheaper house band arrangement which is fine it's great like it's a great score it's a solid score for sure but you can actually, you can find it. It's called the unused, like their album is called the unused score of Hellraiser. You can find it on iTunes. It is fascinating. Um, I know Barker found inspiration for the visual aesthetic of Hellraiser from sources like the gritty S&M environments that he grew up around. You know, he drew on punk subculture, uh, subculture Roman Catholicism, which he constantly pokes fun at because he's like, no, this isn't, this isn't heaven versus hell shit. This is hell in a different dimension. Like the Cenobites are travelers trying to explore different senses and pleasures and all those, but they, they, they really mark themselves on torture. And so, but they're able to leap between dimensions. And so if they get summoned, like, cool. They're like, all right, 
this person wants to have fun. Maybe they can be a Cenobite one day and they'll show up, but like they'll show up for the person that summoned them, which is why in the second film, the girl uses the box and they come and they're like, and Pinnon's like, stop, stop, no, 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 no. Like she's got the box. Someone told her to use the box. So we're going to go for that person. And it's Which one like, of you paged me? <laughs> exactly. It's like, I know someone's ghosting me right now and I don't fucking like this. Someone and keeps so, ringing my doorbell and running away and I will not stand for it anymore. <laughs> I have such pleasures to show them. Yeah, it, it, but yeah, it's all based on like on the S&M club scene in both Holland and New York City, which was fucking insane in the late 80s. Late 80s, early 90s, that shit was fucking insane. Like Pinhead design, Barker drew on like African fetish art. So like he was using African fetish art, masks, sculptures, like I think his original sketch, which is um, like which he it was an original painting of his for the character, included like navel piercings, like to suggest like genital mutilation. Sketches were turned into like a mask licensed by like composite effects, um, and that like included the 30th anniversary celebration of the movie in like 2017. Which one of the reasons why that monster at the end, they one that you see like scrounging through that hallway that looks super cheap in the original cut it was much darker. It was harder to make out how cheap that monster looked, but because of all the composites and eventually now where it is, you can see it clear as day and it doesn't look as effective. So yeah, it, it, like I, I could just, I could go on for fucking days about how fascinating just Clive Barker is in general. Um, also, if you were to listen to an interview with him, the dude smokes like fucking five packs a day. And you can really, really tell by his hand. I mean, <laughs> almost everybody in this movie talks like they smoke five packs a day. Like they, they probably did. Yeah, no, the scene where uh, Frank first comes back and he's just like, Julia, don't look at me. Yeah. I'm not, look, I'm not saying that mistakes weren't made, but don't look, <laughs> look, okay, I, I might have gone to a hell dimension and I'm going to need you to bring back some boys. I need blood. Don't look at me. I'm look. I, I might have taken this too far. I'm I'm very wet. Um, yeah, and, and my God. <laughs> oh, it is such a it is such a wet film. Oh well, my in, God! It... In the second movie, when then she's all just walking around all skinless, and he's kind of into it, and then he he turns into her, and like, and then we get more weird mummy imagery when he like wraps up his his mummy lady, and then he's kind of into it even though like she's all squishy like it's just it's such a wet movie like, but you gotta love way, you gotta love so how you put her in a what so so many versions of clothes ruined when they just put the clothes on a little too soon like, yeah like, yeah which of all out, the suits he, of all the suits he gives her he gives her a fully white suit to cover yeah. her bloody body yeah why the full-on ice cream man suit and she's just like oops yeah, it looks cool. Don't get me wrong; it looks fucking badass. But like from a practical standpoint, why would you make that decision? I'm gonna need some white wine to get this out. It's uh, it's going to set here at any moment. <laughs> oh my god! But uh, it, it, what's crazy also too is just like, oh my god, the makeup effects are amazing. The monster effects, the gore effects—they are all incredible. Just that stop motion, um, sequence where Frank comes back to life. Mm -hmm. And you see his arms just pop up out of the floor and his body just slowly starts to materialize. Is that stop motion? I think I thought a lot of that was like rod and puppet stuff. 
some of it like it was a mix of both so some okay. of it was like stop motion it, yeah it was a, mix uh, of a bunch motion. of it's like a bunch of it's reverse motion stuff um there's a lot of you know pumping blood out of the floor and then ooh, look it gets sucked into the floor um uh, and that kind of uh old school trickery uh but yeah no i mean it's clear i, I just didn't uh i didn't realize there was stop motion in there too i didn't recognize that yeah it's um but then also like what's what's also funny too is they the when this film first was released the promotional push for it was really fucking weird so like the producers organized a really i, I suppose unique's the best word to use like a very unique marketing ploy mm-hmm. so they did a home shopping network program offering hellraiser right. fans the chance to purchase merchandise from the film Items included a lament configuration tissue box, a Hellraiser thermos, a coffee mug, and many other, like, there was a tea cozy that was Hellraiser themed. How very, like, I mean, I can see how this movie is a nightmare to market. Yeah. Uh, The program was hosted by a chipper old lady who claimed to be a huge fan of the film. The program was also included in the rare first edition VHS release of the movie. So if you find that, Please, for the love of God, fucking tell me because I want to see it. Yeah, like upload that shit to YouTube. That that needs to be seen. Oh my god, I, I I tried looking for it. I couldn't find it on YouTube. But if anyone has access to that first edition VHS copy, please post it on YouTube because the world needs to see it. Um, but yeah, but then you just think all this for these insane creature effects. I think like. Pinhead's makeup took like six hours to do. Like it was a like every, all the Cenobites had real complex makeup effects that were going on. Uh, yeah, um, and I, <laughs> I think an the, the original lead Cenobite was going to be Butterball, the the big guy, the big one who keeps like sort of fingering his open stomach wound. Yep. Um, Good gross. But stuff. he but he couldn't talk through his his prosthetics. And so the opening where the Cenobites come up after like tearing Frank to pieces, the the hands that you see put Frank's face back together, that's Butterball. Like that's Butterball's hands. But they're supposed to take. Yeah, good for him. Um, Apparently one of the nicest guys like on set, like like some people would just like the Cenobites, the actors playing them would be so miserable with the whole makeup effects, but he'd come into the morning like, hey guys, how you doing all day? It's such a nice day outside. And everyone's just like, oh God, fuck you, Butterball. Um, just fingering my belly, having a good time. Just, I'm just fingering my belly. Isn't this is a good day to be alive? Torturing folks. Give, my, give myself a little tickle. Yeah. <laughs> also, apparently, the soundstage was not of the best sound canceling quality, and because it's 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 you know the United Kingdom, there's a lot of ducks and geese around, and so they were constantly having to send out PA's to shush the ducks, and eventually had led to them eventually killing a, a, a small percentage of them for which then also on one of the days that they had to kill a bunch of geese and ducks they ran out of stage blood yeah i don't like where this is going oh no yeah so so you know where um larry cuts himself yeah um and the blood drips onto the floor duck blood baby well, yeah, gross. but then of course, like the whole first shot of like them putting Frank's face back together on the floor, they were using real meat for that, and they had to reshoot it because the studio's like, "Oh, that might upset some people." 
Uh, <laughs> it's just, it is, fuck, it's, it's such a fucking fascinating series. Um, the, the the sequels, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't recommend the sequels to anybody outside of Hellbound, um, which is the second one and maybe the third one. But outside of that, like if you're looking for material in this franchise, there's Tapping the Vein, which is um, a short story that Clive Barker wrote that's related to this. Um, the Books of Blood, which are in print and on Hulu. Um, but yeah, and then of course, like he did all the Hellraiser comics, which I would say are better than any of the sequels. The Hellraiser comics are absolutely amazing and I highly recommend people check them out. But I don't know, like Ken, I'm, I'm curious to kind of get a, a few more, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to get some more thoughts from you in terms of just parts of the film that really stuck with you and things that you enjoyed about the film itself. Uh, I, I actually am really impressed by the directing itself. Uh, very uh, kind of taken aback to hear that Clive Barker was like going to the library and looking for books because he has such a confident hand uh, in his imagery and in his composition and the way he moves his camera. He's not wasting shots here and there. He's not, the, the cutting is such that it's clear that there's intent with what he was shooting and that this isn't like piecemealed together from a bunch of spare random parts because he didn't know what he was doing. I would say absolutely the production and art design is top level and in particular, visually speaking, he goes down as one of those guys like H.R. Giger as just like, or, or Guillermo del Toro, somebody who just has a different distinct vision that is also uh, rough around the edges and grotesquely beautiful. And- All with their own art books, by the way. Yeah, yeah, and all like, um, you know, that it's something uh, more akin to like uh, the the black paintings by Francis Goya or uh, Francis Bacon or, or Bacon. I think they're both Francis actually. Um, but yeah, it's the, um, the other thing I think it's really great here um, is a lot of the performances because none of these characters are likable except for maybe the the husband who well, you just about, kind of feel. Kirstie's kind of likable. Oh, okay, yeah, no, no, you know, she, all right, you know, she's definitely likable, um, but you, like, you understand these characters, like, Julia in particular is a real not great person in this. No, no. And it would this, be very this, this easy somebody to just, who, who yeah. kind of, like, she's supremely unhappy with Larry and yeah. super attracted to Larry's brother, so the physical and, attributes of Larry that she found attractive is also in frank but frank is just kind of a bad boy well but like and and she it would be very easy to just straight hate her character but you 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 kind of get where she's coming from you know yeah i don't think you agree with you know what she's doing is good but oh, you were like oh i see how that you know i see how this happened and that is you know and that is one of those you know challenges for actors when you have characters who are not you know who are not saving puppies who are not you know charming uh, and are you know and and the whole movie they are just being conflicted or damaged or uh, being forced to do things or not forced but are doing things that are not great. It's, it's very hard to make those characters understandable. And you know even Frank in this, you man, I've I, I mean I've never known a, a dude who went as far as traveling the dimensions and raising a demon to uh, experience the uh, you know, the outer edges of pleasure and pain. Uh, but 
I have definitely known some real pieces of shit like that. Um, I, I understand how they exist, and he he played it right. Like I know, I know, like I know guys like that, and um, yeah. Overall, like solid movie uh, that I could recommend to some, uh, but it, it man it it earns its reputation. It is truly a nightmarish film. It will give you nightmares. It feels like watching a nightmare. And if you don't like nightmares, then, you know, I would say approach this one with a, with a little bit of trepidation, a little bit of caution. Yeah. And I, I think one of my favorite parts in this film has to be like the first appearance of the Cenobites to Kirstie when she's in the hospital. Um, just that whole segment of when she's playing with a box and then you have the, the, the bell tone that comes in just as like, oh, and what was it like? The way that the set's designed in that one sequence where you bring the lights down, but then there's a light shining behind the tile, but the grout in the tile is completely- Disappears, yeah. Yeah, it completely disappears and you just see the light coming through the tile. But then it also does this whole thing of like where they're like shooting, like things just start randomly bleeding, just like the um, the gurney or the um, the medical gurney, like the the, water, the fluids that are hanging on there. You just see- Yeah, the IV bag. Just starting- yeah, the IV bag. You just see like blood start shooting into the IV bag. It's little bits of production design like that that really allow this film to hit hard. Like this film fucks in the most disgusting way. Um, it's definitely one of the more toxic love stories you will ever see. Can confirm. Yeah. Um, but no, like, I would say for folks who want to want a taste of of what's of horror royalty to give this one a look because because yeah like you you go on there, there's some video games like there's some fight games out there where you're playing as all of the the hit monsters of hollywood and you know you've got jason you've got freddie but then along in there fighting uh you know leatherface is pinhead so like he's he's definitely he's part of the the, the horror icon royalty and it's, I think folks would be doing themselves a disservice by not at least checking out the original where it all came from. Um, I would happily say avoid any other sequels past two. It, it, it's not worth it. It, it. Coming from somebody who loves Clive Barker and knows that Clive Barker does not like the sequels, you're not going to get a real Hellraiser movie from those. They are hilariously bad sometimes. And if you want to see Henry Cavill being this weird little <laughs> fucking hacker who opens the box online, then sure, fine. Check that out. It is funny a little bit. <laughs> see, I, yeah, I, I don't know who needs to hear this out there in our audience, but for God's sakes, if you find an ancient puzzle box and you're messing around with it, and A, the weather or lighting changes around you, B, the box mysteriously moves, or C, you start to hear voices that very distinctly could be demons. Put the box down and go <laughs> anywhere else. If you can, perhaps throw the box into a volcano or into the mouth of an F5 tornado. Something like chuck it into a, the Marianas Trench. But do <laughs> not be like, ooh, look, I finally figured out the puzzle box because it's going to end badly for you. The Cenobites show up to an inquisitive fucking octopus who just happened to get its, its little tentacles on the box. Yeah. 
Oh my god. We have such things to show you, Cephalopod. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, David, um oh. I would say is that is that a sode? Did we just make it did, did we just do our I, 50th episode? I think we just I think we just did our 50th episode, buddy. Man. All right. Woo! We did it. God damn. Well, I'm, I'm David, impressed. I'm, I'm yeah, impressed. Good I, for I, us. It's rare that I stick with anything this long. Yeah, exactly. Well, don't tell your wife that. Well, no, no. She, you, this podcast and my wife are are the two exceptions. <laughs> David, where can the good people on the internet find you and find us? Um, the good people can find us at Shutter underscore Show, where I uh, will be posting our polls. But we won't be doing that for a little while. I might be posting some things on our stories just to keep folks, uh, you know, engaged. But once we come back, we'll start we'll start making announcements about what our next film's going to be. Um, you can find me at underscore DW Marlowe, where I get up from my regular musings, occasional woodworking projects, and just see what I uh, am up to in my everyday life. Uh, I used to, to do a little bit of the, the Twitter stuff on our Shutter Show page on Twitter, but that seems to be gone now. It's 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 no longer around. I think Twitter just like I think I just wasn't using it for a couple of weeks, and Twitter's like, oh, this guy's not using it anymore. We can delete that. Mm. I know it's all right. I wasn't using it much anyway. So, but Ken, you're on Twitter. I like, am on Twitter. Where can folks find you? You can find me on Twitter at Ken Stagnick and also on Instagram at Ken Stagnick. You can find us on Twitter at Shutter Show. You can email us at shuttershow at gmail.com. You can find us on YouTube by uh, searching for Shutter Show Podcast because we don't have enough subscribers as of yet to get that uh, custom URL, but we are getting there. And uh, let's see here. Other than that, I think the most important thing to say to everybody is good night, good luck, and most importantly, go fuck yourselves. Go fuck yourselves. Also get vaccinated and boosted and all that good stuff, please. Yes, please. Just do the very minimum. We're begging please. you, please. We want to we hang out in bars again. We love you. Goodbye.